Uh, our Bible reading is Psalm 22, can be found on page 790. For the director of music, to the tune of the Doe of the Morning, a Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. 
They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Well, thanks, Nita. Um, Perhaps let me uh, start today by leading us in prayer as we uh, encounter and then uh, consider God's word. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, each of us are here today with our own concerns and anxieties, our own struggles, and uh, for some, perhaps, uh, even our own despair. And so we praise you that you are a God who speaks incredible words of comfort and assurance, and you give us every reason for hope. So as we come to your word and uh, consider the work of your Son, Jesus, on the cross, uh, please grow us in our grasp and awe of your love and care for us. So today, please grow our hearts in joy, that we might praise and honour you as we ought. Amen. Well, it's a striking psalm, isn't it? Uh, there's so much in there that just kind of jumps off the page, uh, and I think it's hard to miss the emotional pain, uh, the bitter despair um, in, in this first part of Psalm 22. Uh, for some here today, uh, that kind of pain uh, will perhaps um, resonate, that, that really raw emotion, um, sort of feeling like you, you are encircled by vicious people, uh, people awaiting your downfall, or just feeling spent, uh, that seems to be ringing through as well. Maybe it's poor health or just some sort of uh, despair, uh, feeling like your heart has melted. This psalm, I think, does bring to mind, like, what is the hardest time in your life? Uh, does it perhaps ring true of your experience now? Uh, for those others here today, and I think I put myself in this category, I, I can't quite identify with the level of pain uh, and grief in this psalm, uh, because in God's great kindness, uh, my life has been spared great suffering so far. To be honest, there have been times when I've cried out wondering whether God has forsaken me, uh, like the time I stubbed my toe on a table leg. Uh, <laughs> unbearable pain, isn't it? It's a taste of death itself. Uh, It's trivial, of course, um, and I'm aware that I have so much to be thankful for. I have been spared grief so far, if that's the worst that comes to mind. Uh, But for those who are like me, and that has been your case, you've been so far spared that kind of a trial, it's probably fair to assume that time is still coming for us. And so along with those who have tasted this or are tasting it right now, we still ought to ask... How will I react to the worst news I ever get? How will I react to the worst news I ever get? Or perhaps, how will I respond in the worst moment in life? Uh, Whether you're going through that at the moment, uh, whether you are going through it now, or it's around the corner, or it might still be decades away, I really hope that Psalm 22 will be a very precious psalm for every one of us, uh, because I think it models for us and teaches us what sure hope we have in God's plans and His great love for us. There are truths in this psalm I think we do uh, very well to let sink deep into our hearts uh, when the sun is shining, uh, to help us endure the dark night of the soul, and to even grow through such a dark time. Um, Before we get carried away with ourselves and our own issues, though, we we do need to take a few steps back first as we come to this psalm. Uh, Psalm 22 is written first as the experience of King David. Anita sort of uh, read out the... um, the introductory uh, sentence before verse 1 there. Uh, David is God's anointed king of Israel. He's not just a random guy, he's God's anointed king. He had plenty of grief and tribulation in his life, even uh, while he was on the throne, actually. Um, And I think it's impossible to say uh, what event in David's life he's writing about here or reflecting on. We're not told, he doesn't say exactly what's going on, uh, the details of his life. We're just told it's really, really bad. That's very clear in Psalm 22. 
So our first job is to read Psalm 22 and understand Psalm 22 as a song of God's anointed, the song of King David. Once we've done that, our second job is to read and understand understand Psalm 22 as a song on the lips of God's anointed King of Kings, Jesus. What I'm saying is this psalm doesn't speak first about my suffering, although we have a lot to learn about that. It speaks first about the suffering of God's anointed King. That's not me. So once we've worked out this song uh, and thought about on the lips of Jesus, our third job is as God's people who belong to Jesus, who belong to God's anointed King, our third job is to understand how this is my song too, how we sing this as Christians. Um, that's usually a good pattern as we read the Psalms, I think, especially the Psalms of David. We start understanding it as his psalm, understand it as Jesus' psalm, a psalm that he would sing, and finally, a psalm that we would sing as people who belong to him. That's just a, a regular pattern I think I, I encourage us to read Psalms with. So uh, as we go, I'll bounce around a little bit, I'll, uh, speaking a bit about David, a bit about Jesus as we go, and uh, towards the end, I'll certainly uh, circle back uh, and consider more how this psalm is for us as well. Uh, this is a psalm I think that we do have a great response from as well. It's, it is an amazing thing uh, because it holds, us, uh, holds amazing hope out to us as God's people. Now, whatever actual life experience David is encountering and writing about here, uh, the opening line, uh, the cry of being God-forsaken, that thought is driving all through the psalm, isn't it? It's a bad situation, no, no doubt, it, but the big problem here is David being, or at least feeling, that God has forsaken him. It's all through the psalm. And if you know uh, the account of Jesus' death well, you'll know that Jesus, as he was dying on the cross, cried out these very words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is doing a number of things, I think, as he is doing that. He's first expressing his own painful reality. But he's doing more than that. As his life was ebbing away on the cross, uh, Jesus also, by quoting the first line of this psalm, He points us to this entire psalm, not just that first line. I think Jesus is drawing our attention as he's dying to Psalm 22. And as we read the rest of the psalm, uh, it's the psalm of Jesus on the cross, isn't it? It's so easy to see why he'd be thinking of this psalm and pointing us to it, and why he'd want us to read the psalm in light of the cross. It's amazing, isn't it? David wrote this psalm some a thousand years before the crucifixion of Jesus, Inspired by God's Spirit, David wrote far more than he knew. And what he's given us, in effect, is what has come to be a precious window, I think, into what Jesus experienced on the cross. I think these are the thoughts and emotions, some of which Jesus had on the cross. What a precious thing for us, uh, to know the inner thoughts and feelings of our Saviour as he faced the bitterness of death. And I think when we look through the details of this psalm, we get a sense of what being forsaken by God is like. See, for all the pain and horror of, uh, of physical pain and horror of crucifixion, uh, what seems far worse is that Jesus experienced forsakenness. Far worse than the pain of crucifixion. Because the experience of losing the most precious relationship he had, and it's deeply personal, doesn't start with, God, why have you forsaken me? He starts with, my God. Look at how many times David here talks about himself uh, in his first few verses, I, me, my, me, my, I, and he talks about God, you, you, you. It's a relationship he's describing here. It's clearly someone who knows and trusts God and delights in him, or has in the past. He knows that God has delighted in him, 
He's God's appointed king. God has helped him in the past. There has been, all his life, a good relationship. And now, when it matters the most, only silence from God. Verse 2, he's crying out, he's crying out day and night, he's desperate. Nothing. How devastating if uh, that's the first you've experienced of that. God not answering your prayer. In fact, you get to verses 3 and 5, and David sort of shifts, and he's reflecting on how God has always come through for his people. Uh, those who trust him in the past, God has always delivered them. Uh, that is, David has great knowledge of the Bible, excellent theology, and that kind of makes his experience even worse. Like, God, you've always helped people. You've always helped those who trust you. Why are you doing it for me? I think it's easy to identify with that sometimes. Then you get to the, the, vo- the mocking sorry, of verses 7 and 8, uh, and the kind of phrasing here is almost identical to what people mock Jesus uh, with when he's on the cross. That is, he's being mocked because his relationship with God was supposed to be special. Like, he's supposed to be God's anointed king. I guess he doesn't need our help there. I'm sure God will look after him. <laughs> he's so special. What does the forsakenness feel like for God's king? He's only ever known the tender and nurturing care. Have a look at verses 9 and 10. He's talking to God. He's saying, Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. That's a whole lifetime, isn't it, of knowing and enjoying a relationship with God. And what a great blessing that is. Uh, There are many of us here who can testify to a great privilege to, to grow up, having always known God to be my God. And yet, on the other side of the coin, what a great curse for God's anointed to suddenly to not experience God's tender care or to feel his presence. Verse 11, it seems here like God is distant, like he's away, and the king is anointed, he's left all by himself, utterly alone and truly forsaken. Uh, I think David may have had a number of moments like this uh, where he felt the aloneness uh, and forsakenness, but God the Son, Jesus, the eternal Word of God, he had never known a moment like this in all of eternity. Here he is, forsaken, uh, with trouble approaching beyond imagination. Verse 12 to 18, there's some brilliant, vivid, uh, captivating imagery, isn't there, in verses 12 to 18 with the the wild animals. It really takes us, I think, to Golgotha, the the site of crucifixion. I think these verses almost give us uh, Jesus' view on what's happening around him on the cross. You see the the sheer hostility of the people killing Jesus? It's on full display here. They're like strong bulls, roaring lions, dogs, villains. They're encircling their prey to do great harm. And encourage us, actually, um, during your week, if, you have, uh, if you're looking, to something, looking for something to read, reading Psalm 22 alongside the accounts of Jesus' crucifixion. It's truly uncanny, uh, the way that David paints the picture of the crucifixion a thousand years before it all happens. The vicious crowd, the taunting, the scorning, the exposed body, the bones stretched out of joint, pierced hands and feet we read about, the lots cast through his clothes as if he's already dead. It's incredible, isn't it? Seeing the picture painted in the Old Testament being fulfilled in 3D in Jesus so clearly. I think this gives us great confidence uh, to trust the Bible as the Word of God, uh, not just here, but seeing that fulfillment all through Scripture is an incredible confidence builder in our faith. But back to the question, what was it like for Jesus on the cross? 
I'm sure you've all heard, like I have many people, great stories of heroes facing death, uh, sneering death down, um, as if death's a small thing, taking their stride, dying a hero's death, nobly, proud, with dignity, as if death is nothing to worry about. Have a look here at verses 14 to 15. It seems to be a far more honest take of the horrors of death. It's just harrowing, actually. Verses 14 and 15, he explains, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a pot's herb. And my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. And worst of all, the God who he has trusted his entire life, in the next line, the worst part, he says, you lay me in the dust of death. This is God's doing. So billions of people uh, all through history, of course, have faced death. In fact, uh, tens of thousands of people have died on a cross, much like Jesus. It's just that the physical horrors of Jesus' death, they represent and I think they mirror the full horror that Jesus experienced on the cross, the emotional, uh, the spiritual pain uh, of his whole personhood, of being utterly forsaken by God. Of all the people who have ever died, no one has tasted death the full bitterness of death, like Jesus. Because only Jesus, our God's anointed Messiah, who had known God, his Father, perfect, God as Father perfectly, not just since birth, but from eternity past, the Son had been eternally knowing and loving and glorifying the Father, enjoying that relationship perfectly, and also, in return, being known and glorified and loved by the Father. Now it's gone. No one has tasted such spiritual devastation, utter forsakenness. Psalm 22 gives us great insight into what's happening on the cross, but it doesn't tell us the full story of what's happening on the cross, does it? Uh, most of all, Psalm 22 doesn't answer the question, why is this happening to God's anointed? And so I'm going to take a quick sidestep here, um, because we need to be careful as we read uh, Scripture and think about the cross, so we get the whole picture of Scripture. Um, Psalm 22 might leave us with um, too many questions, um, because on the cross, it's important to realize Jesus isn't so much abandoned by God as we might get the impression here. Uh, God the Father doesn't abandon him. He forsakes him in a far worse way than being left alone. Jesus, God the Son, for the first time in eternity, separated from perfect relationship by the ugliness and distortion of sin. The sin of the world that Jesus, even though innocent, He's somehow carrying on himself in this moment. The Father hasn't disappeared and gone away. It's the opposite. Jesus faces the full judgment and righteous justice and anger and wrath of God the Father. It's devastating. At this moment, the moment of utter forsakenness is the moment the judgment is passed on Jesus. Judgment for every injustice, every moral failure, every time... God was not honoured as he deserved. All of my sin on his shoulders, all of your sin on his shoulders. Isaiah 53, uh, we looked at this uh, just a few weeks ago, really. Uh, I think this is describing what's happening on the cross in a different way and the reasons for it. And uh, this will be up on the screen uh, next to me. Isaiah puts it this way, Surely he took out our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace on, uh, was on him. Sorry. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. 
and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's why Jesus is going through this. Willingly, mind you, this was his reason for coming into our world in the first place. It's the plan of the triune God from eternity past. The plan was always that the Son would come and pay the price for sin. That he would come and be forsaken and judged by the Father. Not just physically punished, it's far more than that. Spiritually, he faced total death, I guess, so that we might be spared from that. So why does this happen at all? Well, the other way to put that in the way we see it time and time again in the Bible, why is, this, why is the anointed one dying on the cross? It's because God loves us. That's why the plan's there. He loves us. He wants us to be saved. He wants us to be spared from being forsaken and judged. So as we read Psalm 22, like having John 3.16 comes to mind. And I hope as we sort of look at Psalm 22, and I'll put John 3.16 up on the screen as well. Like, uh, I think, yes, uh, I think this stirs our hearts. Why has the Saviour went through this for us? It's because God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Praise God. This is great news, isn't it? To be able to look into these things and to think about them deeply is a great joy for us. And we're only really skating across the surface of uh, these great truths today. Again, I'd encourage you to spend more time this week at the foot of the cross, spending some more time reading Psalm 22 and reading the Gospel accounts, reflecting on God's great love for us. The incredible thing, though, is that this is only half the story. It gets even better. It gets even better. See, in verses 19 to 21, David has one last plea uh, that God might spare his life. And all of a sudden, it's sort of very apparent, verse 22, it's a dramatic change of tone, isn't it? It's almost like a completely different psalm all of a sudden. Without introduction, without context, it's a huge U-turn. It's quite a gear change. What, what happened for David? Why that sudden change from despair to praising God with everything he has? Again, we don't know the details of David's life, but it seems, for him, he didn't get forsaken after all. Have a look down at verse 24 with your Bibles open in front of you. I think uh, this is probably one of the clearest spots where this comes through. Uh, David gives the reason here, I think, for his over-the-top praise and adoration. Verse 24, it's because God has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. In David's case, whatever the details, God did hear his prayer. He saved his life. It might have been the last minute. Um, so David just breaks out in song of praise and adoration. He's overjoyed. And it's such a fitting kind of level of joy, actually, when you read how bitter and despairing the first half was. Of course, he's that excited to be saved. It's, it's, it's really quite something, his celebration. He, he calls for the whole nation uh, to come and praise God for saving him. And fair enough, of course, he's the Messiah. He's God's king. That should be a big deal. All of the nations should be praising God, sparing the king's life. But I have to say, as you keep reading, uh, it does sound to me like David gets really carried away here, doesn't he? He's saying not only will Israel praise God for saving their king, look at verse 27, the whole earth will turn to the Lord. The families of all nations will bow down to him. Now, just remember, this is a thousand BC. Like, God wasn't exactly a big deal outside of Jerusalem. It's an extraordinary thing to say for David. But no, David says, 
Israel's God, He rules, not just Israel, He rules all the nations. If that's not enough, verse 29, it's just outrageous. Those who are in the dust, that is, dead people, they will praise God for saving the king. Isn't that something? And if that's not enough, verse 30, future generations, people not yet even born, will say, God has done it. David captures something about the extraordinary work God will do. They'll have worldwide, generation-wide implications. I think for the Israelites, perhaps first hearing David's new song uh, recently released on Spotify, like it would have been like, oh, it's a nice song. It's an outrageous exaggeration, though. Some nice, you know, poetic license, some hyperbole. Surely not the whole world. But of course, to us, here we are, literally, a generation who was nowhere near born in a nation on the other side of the world. Here we are, praising God, not just for saving David's life, but for something far bigger. That's David. With Jesus, of course, we know Jesus wasn't spared death. God the Father didn't sort of swoop down at the last minute and pluck him off the cross. It's the opposite. Instead, because of Jesus' love for us, he endured death. But by the power of his Spirit, God the Father rose Jesus from the dead and announced him Lord of all. And so the uplifting second half of this psalm is just as much as the song of Jesus on the cross, I think, as the start of the psalm. Perhaps, this is speculative, but perhaps even as Jesus on the cross considered this very psalm, perhaps these final ten verses sustained him in his forsakenness, assuring him in hope of resurrection. And perhaps he even cast his mind to you and I, a generation yet to be born in a nation far away, In fact, the final uh, line on this psalm is is very similar to the final thing Jesus said. Jesus' final cry on the cross was, it is finished, it is done. It's a very similar way to the way this psalm finishes. He has done it. And so this psalm reminds us that the, the resurrection of Jesus is also our great assurance. It's our great assurance that there is no more price to pay for sin. There is no more fear for us of God's judgment at all if we have faith in Jesus. He has paid the full price on the cross. And so the resurrection assures us, among many other things, it assures us the cross worked, has been effective. Sin is paid for, it's atoned for. What's more, Jesus didn't just experience death on the cross, he conquered it. He conquered death. Is now the Lord even over death. That's fantastic, isn't it? Even if you've heard this all a thousand times before, we could hear it another 10,000 times, couldn't we? And it wouldn't be any less amazing. The resurrection of Jesus gives us real, solid, concrete hope. Isn't that something that's in short supply in our world? The second major section of Psalm 22, um, say from verse 22 onwards, I think it also tells us what Jesus' agenda has been from that very first Easter Sunday morning until now. Jesus' whole project is to declare to the world this amazing intervention of God. Jesus' work is sharing this good news, this incredible salvation of the cross and the empty tomb. It's actually Jesus. He's the one, through his people, through us, and by his Spirit, it's Jesus sharing the good news and leading us in praise all around the world. It's not just information, is it? It's not just information David or Jesus wants us to know about God's saving work. 
is heart change. This news, this, this, this good, leads us all in praise and worship, knowing God has done this. He's done it for me. He's done it for you. The Messiah has set me free. He's given me hope for eternity. This is fantastic. And so it seems to me, at least, that our first response to this psalm, this song of Jesus, this song of the cross, our first response ought to be praise, allowing our hearts to really be moved by the cross, to great thankfulness and gratitude, having our minds moved by the glory and the wisdom of God. What an outrageous plan. What a wise God. And, of course, our whole lives, increasingly shaped by this gospel story, become lives of praise as we bow down in every respect before the Lord who rules over the nations, who rules over me. He went through this for me. He did it that I might be forgiven, that I might not have to face God's wrath. Doesn't that change everything? If you're here today looking into these things and you aren't a disciple of Jesus, please know that this is the only pathway It's the only pathway that God gives us to eternal life. It's a very simple pathway. It's a very good one. Simply by believing that Jesus, believing in Jesus, and that his death pays the debt I owe, pays the debt I can't pay, the debt for my sin. Jesus has paid it all. If I believe that, that's the only way to eternal life. Jesus pays it all. And if today you turn to Jesus as God's anointed king, as your king, and trust Him for your salvation, you can be assured today that eternal life is yours. And what better day than today to do that, to receive the assurance of eternal life? And if that's you, please don't uh, leave here without speaking to me. I'd love to know uh, about that and how to encourage you in that uh, further. Now, I started today, though, by saying that this psalm is also helpful for us in the worst moments of our lives. Um, it's not just Jesus' song, it's a song of his people as well. It's our song. One way that looks, I think, is that the pattern of this song, the shape of it, as it were, is the pattern of our lives. We endure now, we face those hardships, knowing the certain promise of Jesus' resurrection. With God's help, God's help, we can get through anything because we have real concrete hope. Some of you have had this experience talking to a mature Christian who knows this hope. There's nothing quite like speaking to someone like that, a mature Christian who knows his hope solidly as they face death. It's extraordinary. Real hope, it moves us. It moves us towards the promises of God in our worst moments and gives us even joy in those moments. It's amazing. I think the psalm is our model because it doesn't paint Christian life as something easy or fun all the time, of course. Uh, And only fools, I think, are blasé about death. Like, what agony. What agony we can go through in this world. And yet, we too can sing this same song, crying out to God. It's right for us to do that, asking for Him to keep His promise to us. And we can do that knowing that He will. Fully confident that He's kept His promise to His anointed one. He will keep His promise to those who belong to Jesus as well. Having said that, I think there is one line in this psalm that doesn't really have a place on our lips. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? No matter how we feel, uh, no matter what prayer isn't being answered, that will never be true for us as we belong to Jesus. God will never forsake us if we belong to Him. Not in our worst sin, not in our worst moment, and especially not on Judgment Day. Jesus was forsaken 
So we know God will never forsake me. It's great, isn't it? I think the question that uh, can often be asked in a very flippant way, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen? Um, It's a helpful question sometimes because it gives the right perspective on, you know, doing something a bit silly or taking a risk. But at the limit, you think, what is the worst thing that could happen? It's happened to Jesus. Forsakenness, drinking the cup of God's wrath to the bitter end, that's the worst thing that could happen to anyone. It happened to him, and now it's off the table for God's people. We need to never fear forsakenness again. So I think this helps us look at our hardships with the right perspective. Alongside that, how comforting to know that no matter what we're going through or how bad it is, Jesus is our saviour, Jesus is our friend, Jesus is our helper, He's with us, and he has gone through and understands far more about suffering than we ever will. And there he is, caring for us, sustaining us, and pointing us to the future hope of resurrection. These are great things. Uh, Let us turn to God in prayer with thankfulness. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, our great King, our Saviour, we praise you. Uh, We worship you for the price you willingly paid for us in great love. Thank you that on the cross and just yeah, looking at something like Psalm 22 today, we get a new glimpse into the depths of your love for us, the lengths you went to to open the gates of eternity for us. We ask today that you give us hearts that are really captured by, uh, by this song, this song of the cross. And so please keep changing our lives. Please keep growing us in our hope for eternity, helping us hold loosely the things of this world and when we do go through those moments of great suffering and grief and hardship, please please give us hearts that know this hope through and through. Please set our hearts and minds on this hope of resurrection. And so help us live lives that forever sing your great praise because you have done it. Amen.